0: Well, we are going through the book of Luke so that we can see Jesus and hear what he actually says and not what people think he said or wish he'd said. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, where Jesus is just a few months away from his death, resurrection and return to the right hand of his father, in heaven, And so you're going to see how he gets oh so serious about making it oh so clear where each one of us stands in relationship to him and his kingdom. In fact, you're going to hear him tell a parable today that has every single one of us in it. That's right, every single one of us is in this parable because Jesus clarifies for us that there are three and only three categories that you could be in today and he wants you to know where you stand with him. Here's the first category, you know him, you love him. And you try to live for him and try to do what he says matters most. You're not perfect. You fail. You miss it. But the heart is there. The desire is there. The want to is there. You know him, love him, and want to try to do what he says. But there's a second category that is all too common. It was common then. It's common today. You think You know him. And maybe even pretend to know him. By doing a few things that look like this first group. But you don't. Because you basically still do. Whatever you want. And you don't really care about what he wants. In other words. You still live for you. Consumed with the kingdom of you. And the things of this world you and right here right now are what matters most to you but there's a third terrifying category you know you don't know him and you don't want to know him Because you hate the very thought of submitting to someone else, following someone else, or trusting and obeying in someone besides you. You still want to run and rule your own life. So now, with those three categories in mind, I want you to look for yourself in this passage as I read it. Go to Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is Jesus speaking. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Now remember what I've told you about a parable? When does he tell a parable? When he wants to put people to sleep, when he wants to just comfort them, when he wants to amuse them, when he wants to get their attention, it's a stomach punch, it's a kick in the head because he so knows what the crowd is thinking and wanting and believing is so wrong. He tells parables as a massive wake-up call and correction to what we often think. So, as, he, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So let me give the context here since it's been months. We took the summer for Ecclesiastes. When we finished up, that verse 10 is summarizing his encounter with Zacchaeus. Remember? Zacchaeus was someone that the crowd thought, this guy's not a candidate for salvation at all. We hate people like him. Jesus saves him, offers eternal life, and says, this guy's in the kingdom. Why? Because I came to seek and save the lost, not give a booster shot to those that are already pretty good. So he knows this has rocked the crowd again. That took place in Jericho. Jericho is about 17 miles from Jerusalem. And so as he's walking with the crowd, this having just happened with Zacchaeus, he tells this parable as they make their way to Jerusalem. Because from this point forward, from, he's making his way to Jerusalem. He's aimed towards Jerusalem. He's aimed towards doing what he really came to do. And they suppose the kingdom's going to come immediately. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. This was a common practice. Some nobleman would have a bunch of land, but he'd have an opportunity to take a step up and become king over. But you had to go to Rome. You had to go somewhere and get that authority and right. In fact, commentators tell us that geographically, right where Jesus is speaking, between Jericho And Jerusalem was a palace that Archelaus had built. And Archelaus was one of the descendants of Herod the Great. And he had gone, done this very thing. This was a common practice to get a kingship and come back. He was such a wicked, awful person that a crowd followed him there, about 50 people, saying, we don't want this guy to rule over us. We don't want him. So when Jesus began to tell this parable, they understood exactly the context of what's going on. what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And here's where I want to give you caution. Remember, when he tells a parable, we are not to make association with every single detail. There's usually a big takeaway but some details. Remember we had the unjust judge and you have to beg and beg and beg and he's not a good judge. You don't want to conclude God's not a good God. You don't want to conclude the same thing right here about God. There's parts of a parable that he does not intend us to say, oh, well, that's what God's like. Then another came saying, I was afraid. You're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I'll condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 miners. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. A very sobering parable. So with those three categories in mind, what does Jesus want to clarify and bring into sharp focus For us today. Here's the first thing. Number one. Jesus wants us. To continue. What he started. Oh look at verse 13 again. Calling 10 of his servants. He gave them 10 minas. And said to them. Engage in business until I come. He had 10 minas. And he didn't give 10 to one person. He gave each of 10 servants. One mina. So what's he doing. And what can we learn from this one verse? Oh, there's so much we can learn from this one verse. Verse 13. Here's the first thing, letter A. He's the master and we are the servants. I know the Bible calls us all kinds of things and you've gotta take them all together to conclude what you should conclude. We're called sons and daughters, yay. We're called children of God, yes. We're called sheep, boo, but true. And guess what? We're called servants a lot. A lot. Don't lose sight of that, you guys. He's the master. We are servants. Now, here's what I want you to understand, though. Happy servants. Well-loved and cared for servants. That word doulos, you need to understand, in that day, there were household servants that were not abused. They were not beaten. They were not mistreated. Sometimes they were almost like family. So that's the word he's using. Servants. Happy servants, happy to serve him, well-loved, well-cared for, but servants nonetheless. Which means we're not co-partners with him. We're certainly not co-equal to him. He calls the shots. He sets the agenda. He tells us what to do. He tells us what to do. Letter B, he tells us, if you're thinking, well, what does he want us to do? Well, he tells us to keep doing what he started. You realize when he was here, he started something. He was up to something. He knew exact, Hollywood, whenever they choose to depict Jesus, love to show him as some just deranged, slightly befuddled, mostly effeminate guy just shuffling through Palestine. He's not sure who he is or what he's here for, and he just does a bit of kindness along the way. Oh, my word. Jesus knew exactly who he was and what he'd come to do, and he did it. Therefore, he knows exactly what he intends for us, his children, his sheep, his servants, to keep doing. He's not confused. Guess who often gets confused? We do. He's not confused about who he is, what he started, or what he intends us to continue doing. He started something here while he was in flesh on the earth that he intends for us to continue by the power of of his spirit, he launched a spiritual enterprise and so that's why he doesn't say right here, go start something for me, anything, you decide what you wanna do, just start anything, no, 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 he wants us to continue what he started, so what did he start, what is the spiritual enterprise that he launched, well, he tells us, look at verse 10, look back at verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. Whenever he got around to saying what he was really about, he never said, for the Son of Man came to heal sick people. For the Son of Man came to feed the hungry. He did those things, but he did those things solely so that you would listen to his words when he spoke. Oh, if he can do that, this is not just a man. This is just not a guru or a teacher. Oh my goodness, listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Whenever he tells us his agenda, his real business, his enterprise. That's why I think about it. In John 19, when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. If feeding the hungry, healing the sick was his goal, was it finished? Oh, my word it's so not finished. If relieving oppression and throwing out injustice politically was his agenda, had that been taken care of? Oh, my goodness, so not. He came to seek and save the lost, the lost, that's what he's about. And so that's what he wants us to be about. Now don't hear me saying quit your job, become a pastor, become a missionary, please don't. But he wants every servant, believer, Christ follower to have a mindset of, okay, I'm a home manager, okay, I'm a supervisor in this work, okay, I'm a public school teacher, okay, I do landscaping. Okay, I'm an engineer. But you have this mindset in the midst of this that I do to earn a living. I have a bigger thought of what it's really all about. Because he wants us everywhere in all these places being salt and light. But as you do what you do, you're engaged in his business. You're still thinking, I'm here to continue what he started. I'm here to continue what he... Think about it. If there wasn't a purpose that he had to be a part of his mission, then as soon as people got saved, why don't they just snatch to heaven? What are we here for? To continue what he... Why has he delayed? Guess why he's delayed? He's actually very merciful. So merciful that more may come it's not his will that any should perish but that all should come come to the knowledge of the lord jesus christ oh he delays so that more will come how are they going to come how are they going to hear believe it or not i know it's frightening sometimes you think are you serious us surely has a better plan he does not he does not you're it you're it tag you're it tag you are it Seek and save the Lord Look at verse 13 again It's very It's worth digging into Verse 13 He looks at these servants and says Engage in business Until I come Engage in business until I come What does it mean to engage? Do you know what the word engage right there means? To give attention to To be occupied with To be very engrossed in and concerned about. It's a pretty intense word. To give attention to, to be occupied with, to be engrossed in and concerned about. His business. I see Christians today, you guys, they are occupied with, engrossed in, giving attention to, whoo, Travel sports for their kids, politics, their money, the next big house, everything under the sun except what he says we're supposed to be engrossed in. Again, don't quit your job. Don't stop being a mom. Don't, but have the mindset I am here. I want to be occupied with what he, I want to give attention to. I want to be concerned about what he's concerned about because some of these other things are actually a huge distraction that are keeping you from doing the main thing that he actually has us here for. Engage in business until I come. And he assumes you know what that business is. He doesn't unpack it because he keeps relentlessly bringing the crowd back his disciples back he keeps relentlessly trying to clarify for them what that business is because they had the same problem we do today here's the human heart and mindset i know what i want to be about and now i have you to help me do and be occupied with and give attention to what i want to do and i want you to give your he didn't do it then and he will not do it now he's not going to get on board with your agenda with what you're occupied with, with what you give most attention to, with what you are engrossed in. He's just looking at you saying, when, when are you going to engage in what I started? When are you going to shift and have priorities that have you occupied and engrossed in what I started? These are the last days, you guys. We are in the end times. If you're that Christian who's like, well, just give me a heads up when it's really towards the end and I'll shift and get serious. That would be now. That would be now, my friend. Right now. Right now. Engage in business till I come. I mean... We're no different, and they were no different. Even a couple months from this moment, here he is walking from Jericho to Jerusalem telling this parable, trying to wake him up. A few months later, after his resurrection, in the book of Acts, his followers still had the same mindset. Right here, right now, quick fix on my temporal, earthly problems, which are mostly political. When are you gonna kick out the Romans and give us the kingdom. Set up the kingdom. Go to Acts chapter 1 and let me show you what I'm talking about. I love the Bible that you can just say, nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. This is not a dusty, outdated, irrelevant book for today. You see the very things we need to see and the very corrections that need to happen already right here for us. Acts chapter 1. Now he has died. He's risen again. And he's telling his followers he's going to leave them with the spirit. Their question, look at it in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What he's about to say, you guys, I would put it to you this more, more bluntly. He's about to tell them, that's none of your business. Let me tell you what your business should be to grab hold of that same word he's using in Luke 19. When this comes about, when the perfect kingdom's gonna come, when there'll be that perfect, just political system, is not your business. Stop trying to figure out the time, stop staring at the land of Israel, stop trying to decide who the antichrist is, and start living for what I've called you to live for. My Father knows all about the fixed times. Here's what I want you to be doing. He said, verse seven to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Could it be any more clear? Stop trying to figure it out. Stop setting a date. Stop standing on a mountain with a bed sheet saying he's coming in 2027. Stop. He never told us to try to figure that all out. He told us to, what to do until he comes, till he comes back. Till he comes back, till he comes back, till he comes back. We don't have to wonder what we're supposed to be doing. It's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed. But, so he's like, not that. And you didn't even ask for this. Let me give you something you didn't ask for. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my, say it. Witnesses. Witnesses. Well, to what extent in Jerusalem? He's saying, that's right here, your backyard, where you work, where you play, where you go to the gym, where you shop. Oh, Judea, a little further out. Samaria, a little further out into the ends of the earth. All of you won't have opportunity to do anything about Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the world, but every single person wakes up every day in a Jerusalem, in a city, right here. He has you next to certain neighbors for a reason. For a reason. Have you ever spoken to them? Have you ever even introduced yourself? Do you try to learn their names? Do you consider? Even as Vicky and I are moving, we're going over there to water the maple tree in the front yard we've been given so it doesn't die. But as we water it, we're meeting people. And as we meet people, I'm writing their names down. I already know like 12, 14 names, and I call them by name. The other day, someone drove up in a golf cart. But I knew his name. He was shocked. I said, well, hello, so-and-so. Why? I think I'm supposed to care. I think he's moving me from Mount Vernon to Amici Drive for a reason. Not just so that we can have a one-level home and Vicky can do stairs. That we'll have a new opportunity. These people matter to God. I'm gonna engage. I go to the clubhouse and I see people having a book club and I'm like, I'm getting in that book club. <laughs> and I'm gonna find a way to talk about spiritual things even if they're reading something Ridiculous. Because I like books. I'm looking for ways to engage and get it. There's a pool. I like pools. My baby pool is over. You will never hear me talk about that again. I'm going to have a real pool with a real chair and a real umbrella. But guess what's likely to happen? I'm going to have real conversations with another network of people who also like sun and pool. I'm not just going to sit there and ignore everybody and pretend like there's no people around me. It's not wrong to enjoy pool. It's not wrong to enjoy all kinds of things. But as you do, you just have this mindset, I'm engaged in his business. And it starts with noticing people and learning their names and showing that you care and engaging. And engaging. And engaging. Engage in my business, he said. And here's what I think is also worth noting. Engage means give attention to, be occupied with, engrossed in. The word business right there is the Greek word pragma. What do you think we get from that in English? Pragmatic. Is that not cool? He is saying find practical, practical everyday ways to be engaged in my business. It won't look the same for all of us. You're a young mom. You have young kids. You're busy, busy, busy. I bet you go to a playground sometimes and there's other moms there. And you just have the mindset of learn a name, be friendly, ask the names of their kids, start a spiritual conversation, turn it, well, do you have any thoughts about God or the afterlife? Did did you grow up going to church? You're a mom, you're busy, you have kids, but you're at a playground with other moms. You're at a certain campus, you're at a certain grocery store, you're at a, he just wants us to have the mindset of, I'm looking for practical, everyday ways to engage in what he started, because he's called us to continue. Now, can we save anybody? No, not my job, the burden's off me. But he's just saying, what did he say? I want you to be my witnesses. What does a witness do? All they do is proclaim and tell the truth about something else and someone else. Here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus, and I don't start there. I don't say, hello, my name's Brad. Your name's Bob. Do you know you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus? That doesn't go well. I ask about their house. I ask about bourbon. I ask, I connect with the Bengals. I connect in any number of ways, and then I pray for an opportunity to turn it to a spiritual conversation. Find practical ways. But there's one more thing you can see right from this verse 13. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, I feel inadequate, I feel, I feel weak, I don't think I have what I need to do this, what do you mean I'm supposed to engage and be occupied and continue what he started? Good news for you, letter C. He gives us what we need to do it. Mic drop. He's not going to say, go and do this and not give us what we need. What do you have that we see right there in Acts chapter 1? What did he give us? Say it. Holy Spirit. Spirit. Do you know how wonderful that is? The Holy Spirit, a person, resurrected Jesus Christ, lives in you. Lives in you. Lives in you. And then I'm going to unpack and explain to you something else he gave us. That is oh so powerful. Look at verse 13 again. He gave them 10 minas. That means he gave each one of them a fairly significant amount of money because a mina was equivalent to three months wages. The average salary in northern Kentucky makes that about $15,000. $15,000. So it was something pretty valuable that he gave every single servant to use, to invest, and do his business. He entrusted it to each one of them and wants them to invest, find practical, everyday ways to use this and to get this out there. So what does the money actually represent? Well, right here is where you need to be careful. If you grew up in the church and you know your Bible a little bit, you might be thinking, this sounds really familiar. Is this just... Another parallel version to the parable of the talents. I remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. There are similarities, but it is not the same parable. There are similarities, but there's some huge differences of what he is emphasizing. In Matthew 25, he gave, I don't know if you remember, in Matthew 25, he gave each servant a different amount. Right here, he's giving them every single one of them a mina. In Matthew 25, he gave each servant a different amount. But then when he returned, he rewarded them all the same. Because the emphasis there was on gifting and abilities. When he saves us, he gifts you. Does he gift people differently with different levels of abilities? Yes, yes, yes. But then he rewards and says... That gift you only had because I gave it to you. So I'm rewarding everyone equally. In this parable, Luke 19, he gives them all the same amount and then rewards them differently based on faithfulness. Matthew 25 is about giftedness. Luke 19 is about faithfulness because every believer has the Holy Spirit. Do I have more of the Holy Spirit than you do Because I'm ordained Because I have a seminary degree Do I have a leg up on you I do not In fact I want you to know I'm in a disadvantage I try to hide forever that I'm a pastor That's a showstopper You're normal Talk to people They're not afraid of you But when they learn I'm a pastor ah, oh, That's not helpful I don't have a leg up on you I do not have more Holy Spirit than you do now, he may have more of me than he has of you, because that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. How much are you letting him control you as a drunk person? Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with the wine, but be filled with the Spirit so that you're able to do, th- do things you wouldn't normally do. You're a little more loving and compassionate and bold than you would normally be. What's going on? She's filled with the Spirit. She's filled with the Spirit. That's what that looks like. But you have all the Spirit. He's a person. He's not a liquid The gospel is the gospel. I don't get more of it than you do. Every single one of us has the gospel. I believe the money, the mina, represents the gospel. He gave every single servant the treasure of the gospel and said, engage in business. Find practical, everyday ways to do something with this. Engage in business. In other words, he's entrusted us with the treasure of the gospel. This is what, this is how Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 4. Jump over to 2 Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, do you ever and, and I hope you be so encouraged. As often as I tell about sharing the gospel and starting a spiritual conversation, have you ever heard me say, and they unbuckled from their seat, dropped to their knees and said, I believe. Have you ever heard any of my stories in that way? I see very few people right in front of me come to faith in Christ. Am I discouraged? No. My job is only to share. I have no idea what happens after that, right? Same for you. Don't get all worked up about how do I seal the deal? How do we close it? Do not start thinking that way. He hasn't called us to close it, seal it. He's called us to share it. It's very powerful. And then I pray. Oh, oh, I pray. I pray sometimes every day for years after I share with someone. Just the other day in my prayer journal, there's some guy named Danilo from 13 years ago that worked for Verizon. I have no idea where that man is, but I pray for him every day and his twin boys, and his wife. And I don't know what I'm gonna see when I get to heaven. I have no idea, but I can pray, and I shared the gospel. I can pray, and I shared the gospel. And he is the Lord of the what? Harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. Look at this, and even if our gospel is veiled, does it seem like people when you talk about this are like, ah, they don't really get it, sure. Even if our gospel is veiled, he's going to tell you what's going on. It's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, little g, who's that? Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. Do you realize the gospel, you guys? Watch how he's going to describe the gospel. The gospel is the light of the glory of God in the person and face of Jesus Christ. Wow, wow. And Satan does not want them to see that. He works hard for them not to see it. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. I don't go, I don't go around pushing me, talking about me, for we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. Same word for Jesus' Say For God, here's what encourages me. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Could darkness stop what God wanted to do in Genesis? When he decided there was going to be light and life, could they stop it? For God, who just spoke and said, let light shine out of darkness darkness here's how people get saved has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ do you realize if you know him and you said yes and you trusted in him and this made sense to you God turned the light on for you so please don't look down on unbelievers and say are you stupid what's wrong with you Oh my word Every day you should say Thank you Lord that you saved me You saved me You allowed me to get it You allowed me to see it You allowed me to want it That's how you got saved And someone shared the gospel The gospel was involved And God's spirit was involved Verse 7 This is what I took you here for And I took a while to get there But here it is (laughs) But we have this treasure What was he just talking about? The gospel. So now he's saying we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about our weak, frail, finite bodies. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why does God do it this way? To show that the surpassing power belongs to who? And what? Say it louder. Say it even louder. Not us. We live in a day that we just need to be reminded, not us. Our world loves to make so much about us. Not us. Not us. That's why I hope you realize you say, I'm still pretty messed up. I still got a ways to go. He would love to use you. Because of course they're going to say, can't be her. That can't be her. He likes it that way. We're just jars of clay. Why? That the surpassing Power may be of God and not us. So here's what we go through as we have this treasure. We, oh, we're afflicted in every way, but not. Oh, there's going to be four but nots, but not crushed. Perplexed. Do you ever wake up perplexed? Oh, dear me, I don't even know what to do about that. I don't know what to think. I don't know where to turn. Welcome. Perplexed. But not driven to despair. If you feel crushed today, if you have been driven to despair lately, something's wrong. And it's usually you are engaged in, occupied with, consumed with the wrong thing. That's why you feel crushed. That's why you feel perplexed. He never said he'd give us grace to build our lives around the wrong thing. You'll feel crushed. You'll feel... but when you're focused on, I'm here to live for him. I'm here to share the gospel as I work this job. As I'm not here to promote my kids, to see they get a scholarship because we were in elite sports. I'm not here to turn around America politically. I'm not here for any of that. You'll feel crushed. You'll feel overwhelmed. You'll feel struck down and out. But if you're focused on what he wants you focused on, you're weak. You're afflicted. You're perplexed. But you have hope and you keep going. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Treasure of the gospel. The mina was the treasure of the gospel that every single believer servant has equally. 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 So the only question is, are you finding You say, we're we're older in life. All right, do you you hang out with old people and do you play bridge? Sorry, I hope that doesn't offend you. Someone already said, we're gonna teach you bridge. No, you're not. I'm not playing bridge. (laughs) Whatever, we'll have a gentle conversation when that comes around again. I don't know what it is you do, right? Wherever you are at every season of life, no matter how young and busy with kids and no matter how old and moving slower and and souling. Do you realize God and Jesus would still love to use you? Use you. Use you. I, I love it. There's, a, there's an older gentleman that, that I watched him age for decades in our church. I did the funeral of his wife. He lives in an assisted living place. Someone has to bring him to our services. Guess what he talks about when I go to visit him or I email back and forth. How he's looking for ways to share the gospel. Because he's like, oh my goodness, all these older people... And they don't have hope and they're discouraged. And I'm trying, some of them are gonna go to hell when they die. They're in their late 80s, they're in their 90s. A bunch of them died during COVID right there in his place. He has a heart, even as he's older and weaker and slower, to be engaged in the business of his Lord. Wherever God has you. Just this past week, as I went to Savannah to teach, I was seated next to a young man. And I couldn't help but overlook He had his laptop out And he's just doing W-9s And so then I turned away I thought that's kind of private But I made a note of it So when he slammed the lid shut I started a conversation You guys Meet people where they are I have to do W-9s Because I teach and get an honorarium So I said are you a contractor Do you work for yourself I couldn't help but notice You were doing some W-9s Off to the races He owns a business News People are happy to talk about themselves And what they do Are you happy to listen to it I am. And don't pretend. Just like I'm going to fake it for about 20 minutes. I like people. I like learning. I learned about his business. I just kept asking questions. Kept asking questions. Kept asking questions. And people begin to realize you care. And then I said, hey, there's any number of ways to do this. I just said, hey, did you grow up going to church at all? And then he said he grew up Catholic, went parochial school, K through 12, and then said, but I really didn't learn anything about God. I don't remember anything about God. Then he said he lives in this other city where his brother does. And he said, but my brother's invited us to his church. It's a Baptist church, and my my two boys love it. And it was a Wednesday. He's like, as soon as I hit the ground, I'm hurrying home to get them to kid's place. They love to go to the Wednesday night kid's place. Here's what I didn't do. You might think, oh, it's a Baptist church. I'm sure he's hearing the gospel. Can you sit under the sound of the gospel And still be lost So I used my favorite question That I hope you know what it is I said, "Uh, would you mind if I ask you a question then If you were to die And you stood before God And he said, why should I let you into my heaven What would you say Now I'm going to quote him He said, that's a hell of a question (laughs) I said, yeah, it really is And he went on to say, I try to make a difference in this world. I know I'll never be famous. I'll probably never leave a huge mark. But I'm going to, I try to, I try to, I try to commend them, you guys. Don't say, wrong answer. I said, thank you. I always thank people. Thank you. It makes for a better society. But did you know that won't get you into heaven? And then I just said, would you mind if, I always ask permission, you guys. And I've, I've never had someone say, please stop, no. I said, would you mind if I shared with you what the Bible teaches Is how you could know that you're right with God And you're going to heaven when you die He said sure He listened so politely as I explained the gospel That the law was given to us To have a standard to know that you fall short Not for you to try to keep it You'll never be able to keep it So Jesus came as the only one Who ever perfectly kept God's law And pleased God And then died on the cross And his death and perfect life And shed blood Was the final sacrifice And payment for sin That bulls and goats and heifers could never do so that now anyone who puts their trust in Jesus can be forgiven and saved. But then I clarified faith in Jesus is not just saying, oh, I believe he lived. I said, that's putting your trust in him and resting in him. All your hope is in that. And then I let him put his. He had those Bose headphones and he went back to. But when we landed, I keep in my roller bag a number of good written things So I just dug in there and I got Ultimate Questions by John Blanchard. It's excellent. I said, you know, I'm standing. We're about to get off. I said, I would love to give you this. Would you be willing to read this? This talks more about how you can know what the Bible teaches about how you can be right with God and go to heaven when you die. Do you know what he said? I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I don't think it was an accident that we were seated next to each other. And he takes it, you guys, people are all around us. People work with you, they live near you, they play around you. They're more open than you would believe. They're more open to hearing it than often God's people are to sharing it. You guys, but we got to get engaged and occupied and pay attention to what he was doing that we should keep doing instead of other things. Is this a day of distraction? absolutely. Is this a day that screams at you with some wrong priorities? Could you get sucked into something even good that isn't best? I want to live for what he started, you guys. Ooh. ooh. Now, here's what I want to do. I tell these plane stories so often. I do not want you to think, well, unless you're 30,000 feet in the air flying, you just can't share the gospel. My wife... So here's what I mean by find everyday, practical ways. She's been a home manager our entire life. A couple of years at the beginning, she worked in a doctor's office when we had no kids. Since we've had kids, oh my goodness, five kids, and we homeschooled in the early years. Was she busy? Yeah. Woo! But here's the commitment she made, and she's done it for decades. She doesn't have that many opportunities when you're raising young kids, so she said, any contractor, any repairman that comes in our house, I'm gonna share the gospel. Woo! That's a lot of repair people, right? And so right now, we've been trying to get our house ready to sell it. We've had painters, we've had drywall, we've had all kinds of stuff. And so there was a guy in our home for three days doing painting. Again, just like with me on the plane, I don't start with heaven and hell. She just showed interest, learned about his family, learned about his kids, learned that he likes to keep bees. She loves bees, she loves honey. Just whatever, engage with them. And then on the last day, on the last day, she asked him a question. And she said, do you go to church anywhere? He said, no, I grew up Catholic, but I walked away from it. Okay, that's very common. So she asked, do you have any thoughts about God or the afterlife? That's one of my favorite ones. Just say, do you have any th- thoughts about God in the afterlife? And he said, not really. I just think when you die, you die, that's it. You die, you die, that's it. So then she used the question that I love. She's such a good wife. So if you died and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? The guy said, whoa, that's a hard question. That's what I get every time. You guys, it's a fantastic question. It stops people in their tracks. Whoa, that's a hard question. That's a really hard. I try to treat people well. I could tell he does. I don't rip people off. I could tell he does. And he gave us a fantastic price, and he's a hard worker. So she thanked him and said, "I could tell that. I had already decided all that about you." But did you know that won't get you into heaven? And then she did this because she's you know she was in her home. She said, "Would you mind if I shared with you what the Bible says about how you could know?" And she did this. She said, "I won't keep you long. Would you give me six to seven minutes?" Again, permission. I'll ask permission. And he said, sure. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I, I mocked everyone Googling and ask your mom. She Googled the bridge illustration. So Google sometimes can be helpful. She knew there's this bridge illustration that you can use. That's how, I haven't used it in forever, but that's what she wanted to do. Where you show, here we are, here God is. There's this gap of sin. How can you be right with God? And you end up drawing a cross. And, so she Googled to make sure she had the bridge illustration right. She had her Bible and she had it marked with one verse. She was going to unpack one verse for him. Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. She just unpacked that and drew her little bridge illustration. And then she said to him, have you ever heard this? This guy's about our age. He said, parts and pieces, but never this Clearly. And then he said, can I have that piece of paper? And then he said, I still have lots of questions about Jesus. And so she ran and got my only copy of Case for Christ. That's okay. <laughs> Hit for the kingdom. And she, and she said, are you a reader? He said, I am. She said, you would read this. Most people don't read books, so don't waste your time. But he said, yes. She gave him Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. This is a fantastic book. You realize Lee Strobel was a hard-nosed Chicago Tribune journalist, atheist. Guess what happened? His wife started attending a small group. Her life was transformed. He started going there to figure out what in the world this craziness was, and got saved, dramatically saved, and wrote an excellent book that deals with objections to Jesus Christ. You guys, this is what Jesus is talking about in Luke 19. Pragma, pragma, engage, be occupied with, give attention to, look for opportunities, make opportunities, lean in, and then find what would it look like for you? That's the question. I don't know where you are in life, how much you work, how much you play, how old your kids are, but do you realize no one gets, all right, not you, he doesn't expect you, every single one of us, and then it changes as you go through life, you have to shift what your opportunities are and what you could do. But oh my goodness, he's called us to keep doing what he started. What he started. What he started. But look at what else we can see in the passage. Number two, Jesus wants you to hear well done. Oh, he wants you to hear well done. I want to hear well done. And he's happy to say it if you are focused on the right thing, some of you are going to hear, "You missed it altogether." Oh my word, what were you thinking?" He's happy to say, "Well done, if you're focused on what he wants us focused on." But here's what I think is interesting. Even in this parable, do you notice the servants that heard "Well done" had enough sense to recognize It's not what they've done but what he's done through them by the power of the gospel. You say, Brad, how do you get that? Because of the way they talk about the mina. Did you pick up on it? It was really odd. Verse 16, verse 18. Lord, your mina has made. Ten more minas. Lord, your mina has made five minas. They make it sound like the money did all the work And has the power in itself to multiply and grow. Guess what? It does because we're talking about the gospel. Do you realize the gospel is powerful? There's life in it. It is a thing unto itself. It multiplies and grows and has power to do amazing things. They knew it wasn't them. They knew it wasn't them. They knew it wasn't, Lord, your mina has made. Oh, the pressure's not on us He hasn't asked us to make anything happen. He's asked us to proclaim the power of the gospel. That's why Milton Vincent, in his excellent little book, The Gospel Primer, says this. I agree wholeheartedly. Outside of heaven, the power of God in its highest density is found inside the gospel. This must be so, for the Bible twice describes the gospel as the power of God of God. Nothing else in all of scripture is ever described in this way except for the person of Jesus Christ. God's power is seen in erupting volcanoes, in the unimaginable hot boil of our massive sun, in the lightning speed of a recently discovered star seen streaking through the heavens at 1.5 million miles per hour yet in scripture such wonders are never labeled the power of god how powerful then must the gospel be that it would merit such a title that's why paul said in romans 1:16 for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god unto salvation it will do its work you guys set it free Toss it out there. Speak, I mean, whatever it looks like for you, you might be very quiet. So, like, blog it, type it, sing it, share it, write it, screen it on a t shirt. But whatever you do, find a way to talk about it and get it out there how this has changed your life. But I can't stop without touching on the sobering way this parable ends, you guys. Number three. Number three, if I can find it in my notes. I don't know, there's a number three. Oh, there we go. Jesus wants you to know where you stand. Two, two things, you guys. In this parable, there are people who are self-deceived. That's what's going on in verse 20. That servant, when it says, then another came. Do you know what that word for another is in the Greek? Heteros. Another, unorthodox, outside the categories, not legitimate, another came and said, here's your mind, O Lord. I hid it away in a handkerchief. You guys, he's not saved. He's not a believer. How do you know that? His opinion of the master, right? How could you know him and his love and his mercy and his grace and say, you're a severe man. Do you realize that word severe in the Greek right there means harsh, unfair, unjust, hard-nosed, and even cutthroat. This man doesn't know the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. That's why in the other parable, the guy that buried it, it says, cast him into outer darkness. That is an unbeliever. And the churches in America are filled with them. People who think they know him because they prayed a prayer, walked the aisle, did something at youth camp but they have no heart for him. I don't care about the gospel and I don't really like you. I don't know you. I have totally wrong opinions of you. But oh, what about these enemies? They said, we hate you. We do not want this man to rule over us. You realize that's the very heart of an unbeliever. I do not want Jesus to rule over me. And he said, bring them here and slaughter them. Oh, this is the same Jesus that says, whosoever will may come. The same Jesus says, if you're heavy laden and burdened, I'll give you rest. The same Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave, that whosoever believes, but here's what you need to understand. He doesn't shy away from the fact. This, he's a savior today who died for you and offers the gospel freely. That offer will end, you guys. It's gonna end. Today, he is a savior who pleads with you to come. When he returns, he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords to judge and punish everyone who said no. In other words, he's just going to give them what they said they wanted. I don't want you to rule over. Notice even how it's worded. In First Thessalonians, I put it there in your bulletin. And they will be destroyed and they will be away from the presence of the Lord. They said, I don't want him in my life. Now you'll never have him in your life forevermore. No Lord, no goodness, no presence of God. Very sobering, you guys. So if you're here and you're self-deceived and you've been pretending, but you have no heart for him and the things of God, please repent and come to Christ. If you're here and you've been running and resisting, stop. You were made to know him. And you will begin to thrive and live in a way like never before. When you come to him. Accept the free offer. Of the gospel today. Because when he returns. It will be too late. Oh God thank you for your son. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your spirit. Oh Lord would you reorient us. To engage. To be occupied with. To give attention to. And to be engrossed in. What you're about. People lost people that matter to you, and you've given us the treasure of the gospel that has power to change lives. Lord, would you use us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.